Welcome to Comeback episode 215. Today, my guest is Axi, the founder of Help Hanoi's Homeless, previously of Help Prague's Homeless and Help Saigon Homeless 2. We're going to discuss about the projects and more. Axi, welcome to the podcast. How are you today? I'm very good, Connor. Thank you for having me on. It's a pleasure, man. And just to get a basic overview before we dive in, do you mind telling me a little bit about your background? We've discovered that we are both from Manchester. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Uh, yeah, I, I originally herald from uh, the from South Manchester, Stockport. Um, so yeah, and I've been running um, charities for uh, a few years, things like, uh, I, as you say, help before, help Hanoi's homeless, help Saigon's homeless and help Prague's homeless. We also have one in Australia, a smaller campaign, help Adelaide's homeless. Um, but yeah, I've been running the charities for, for a fair few years now, because um, uh, I myself, I was homeless myself, um, ooh, probably about eight or nine years ago now, mm. I think. Um, and so that's why I started uh, setting up charities in the cities that I've lived in and, and things like that. And that's how it's all, that was the genesis of it really. Yeah, I see. And with that, um... If I may ask you, what were the key things you learned about yourself through going through that period of homelessness yourself? Um, well, it's, it was it was obviously wasn't exactly uh, the most enjoyable time of my life. Um, I, I learned a lot about how to be very resourceful. Uh, I learned a lot about uh, I, basically the way people will treat you uh, based on the fact that you. A sleeping rough. Uh, a lot of people assume you're, you have some sort of like drug addiction, or they assume you're mentally ill, or most of the time people will assume you're very dangerous. Um, and you're kind of given this look of contempt, or even fear, quite a lot of the time. Um, I guess it's, uh, it's, it's just something that you kind of get used to after a while. But the scary thing is, is that after a while, you, you really start to believe it about yourself, you feel subhuman, all the time and uh and you you, you start to be begin to believe that you are worth less than other people uh my my experience of homelessness was intermittent and and relatively brief compared to obviously some of the cases that i've uh, dealt with over the years um but the the effect it can have on you is is staggering really yeah i can imagine and if i may ask you how did you pull yourself out of that period how did you stop becoming homeless well it was it was it went on for a fair few months where i was um kind of at risk of it so there's there's uh generally in the uk we have primary secondary and tertiary homelessness <clears throat> primary being you're on the streets all the time secondary being uh you may be on the streets sometimes you may be in in some sort of like shelter or dormitory other times and tertiary is sort of like people who are like sofa surfing and and uh, may not actually be sleeping on the street, but are very much at risk of, of being turfed out onto onto the street at any point. So the, over the period of several months, I kind of went from being primary homeless to secondary to tertiary, back to primary to secondary and so on. And sort of hovering between these different levels of, of homelessness. But housing security was very low throughout. Um, the way, the way, I guess the way I got out of it, it's, it, it's difficult to say really. Um, the last time that I was homeless was, um, <clears throat> I, I was going to spend two nights on the street, uh, as I had no other accommodation and the money I had 
the little money I had was basically enough to either buy food or buy one night of accommodation. So I decided I would rough it for uh, two or three nights and eat uh, rather than sort of have a room for one night and then be and then be homeless for two nights and starve. So I decided, yeah, that, that was my priority then. Um, but on that night, I actually got my skull broken, which was uh, so I never slept on the street because I, I ended up in a hospital bed that night. So, uh, yeah, so that wasn't fun. Um, but um, after that point, uh, I never was homeless again um, because I spent one night in the hospital. I spent a few nights actually with uh, the person who I was I ran in to go and help somebody who was being attacked. And uh, that person's family actually let me stay with them for a little bit. Um, and then I moved to another city. And I suppose just getting out of it was just a case of being extremely frugal for a while and, and, and working uh, as much as I possibly could, um, uh, which, was, which was difficult. When I, when I was able to sort of build up enough money, uh, I was able to kind of get more sort of secure uh, housing. I mean, when I say secure, I'm talking about hostels. I'm not talking like I was able to suddenly go and buy, uh, go and start living in an apartment or something like that. But, uh, but hostels are, you know, they're cheap and, and infinitely better than sleeping in a car park. I've, I've no issue with staying in a hostel. Yeah, um, it's a difficult one, really. I mean, it's, I, I, didn't, I wouldn't say there was some sort of magic bullet to it or anything like that. It was just, you know, you, you, the reason I became homeless in the first place was because of a series of, uh, of, of misfortunes that just, when they, when they say when it rains, it pours. And, uh, you know, everything that could have gone wrong went wrong simultaneously and and everything you know went bad luck aggregates bad luck um so one one thing fails and that causes something else to fail and it can be kind of a, a chain reaction that leads to what well, leads you putting you on the streets um and i think just realistically i yeah i was working quite hard but also my my look just kind of turned around and, and i managed to sort of get out of that situation and become a bit more stable yeah i see and I'm assuming this period of homelessness was in the UK. Is that correct? It, it wasn't actually. It was in. It was actually in New Zealand. Oh, okay. uh, it wasn't in. Yeah, yeah. It was. I was. So I was. Yeah, about eleven thousand miles away from anybody I knew, which obviously compounds the situation significantly. Yeah. See, and if I may ask you, are you comfortable sharing what the circumstances were that led you to that point or is that something you would rather keep private uh no no i've i've, I've no issue with uh talking about it i mean people's initial assumption is you know drugs or or something like that i was i've, I've never been involved with drugs i've never been uh you know i've never been like a gambling addict or an alcoholic or anything like that uh not that, that not that we should have any less sympathy for people who are and end up homeless for those reasons uh you know as a side note that's not some a moral failing on someone's part and we shouldn't refuse them help um but basically yeah there was just uh i was i was living in a so i was living in auckland and uh this and i in order to sort of work the job that i had uh you know jobs jobs were difficult to get because i was on a uh, working holiday visa and generally at, at that time uh, in New Zealand, uh, it was quite difficult to find work. Um, and most of the work you could find was, uh, you know, irregular hours, um, minimum wage. There were some people who were even paid less than minimum wage because they, you know, they couldn't, they, their employer just wanted to hire them kind of illegally to sidestep taxes and stuff like that. So you'd hear about people working in bars 
just cash in hand and stuff like that. Uh, I, I ended up working as a manual laborer. So I worked for this agency and uh, the money that I was earning was, it was about $13 an hour. And the, the work that you would get was completely irregular. Like some, some weeks you could work, I don't know, 30 hours a week, which was good. Other, other weeks you might get eight hours and you'd have to be, you'd be sitting there, you know, it was run from like a garage and you'd be sitting there at the garage on what they call the bread line, just waiting for work to come in. And if somebody phoned up and said, oh, we need four uh, laborers to come and dig a ditch, then whoever's been waiting there the longest, off they go and they get work. So it was, yeah, so it was really uh, insecure uh, money, really. And I, uh, I quickly worked out, I was like, okay, I, I, need, to, uh, I need to have at least 16 hours um, of work every single week just to pay the rent. I need realistically 20 to be able to pay the rent and eat. And, uh, and I, I need a lot more if I want to be able to actually save or have any kind of quality of life. So obviously I was like, okay, I'm going to find a, another job while my, you know, my savings were being eaten into every single week. Um, so I was, so I went and found another job, um, managed to find a, an office job, which was, uh, it was really well paid, uh, significantly better than the $13 an hour. I think it was about $22 an hour. Um, it, yeah, and it was 40 hours a week. Um, solid solid work there was no sort of like it's not sort of like a piecemeal wage or anything like that um so i got this job and in in the time it took me to get that job obviously i had to take a few weeks off work my savings ran dangerously low i had to buy a suit those kind of things you're going you're getting on trains um but it didn't matter because i had a job and i was like well on friday when i got paid they they pay weekly in new zealand um i'll be fine i'll, I'll have i'll have loads of money in Two days in, and uh, they turn around and they say, "We've we've actually overhired, so we're just getting rid of everybody who's on a visa." And so that was it. So money gone, job gone, and and I couldn't pay the rent on the Friday. And because you had to pay the rent weekly, um, I was living in basically like a big filing cabinet full of you know uh, students and uh, and and uh, uh, immigrants, I, I suppose. And uh, the the landlords there were just ruthless. You know, if you didn't pay the rent, you were out. That's it. They could they could put someone else in there. You know, in these in these buildings, you'd sometimes see you could look across to other apartments from your balcony, and you could see that there were about you'd sometimes see like six or seven people sleeping on a kitchen floor. They just crammed as many people in there as they could. I'm not sure what the legality of it was, but it was it was just insane. Some of these things. So if you couldn't pay the rent, that was. That was no skin off their nose. There was no sympathy coming from uh, from them. Um, you know, I used to I used to say in my head, um, and pardon me for using foul language, but I used, I used to say if you're looking for sympathy, it's in the dictionary. It's right there between shit and syphilis, and that was kind of how I felt at the time because uh, you know if you if you didn't have the rent, you were out. There was no sort of there's no sort of grace period. There's no sort of time to find another job. And when you're when you're out and when you're sleeping on the streets uh you know you get you get dusty you get dirty doesn't matter uh you know how, how are you going to get around if you if you find a new job uh how do you get there how do you get to the job interview what if it's 10 miles away you can't really walk there um you know do you jump a train and risk a fine if you can't pay the fine you know that could be a, a criminal thing what do you do and so there you go, like bad luck compounds bad luck and it all begins to aggregate. And, and uh, yeah, and before you know it, it's just things are just getting worse and worse and worse. And the longer someone is homeless for, the harder it is to pull them out of that because 
like I say, these problems just compound until they're in such a situation as, you know, they're, they're basically just completely stuck unless there's a massive change given to them um, and they're able to, uh, you know, to, to work and, and, and have secure housing. Yeah, I see. And I do want to move on in a moment to the work you've done since with starting your charities, etc. in different places. Uh, however, if I yeah. may, just before we do that, what was it like on the very first night, as in once you've realised, oh, sh- no job, no money, no house? Uh, it was... Yeah, the first night, what was it like? Extremely depressing, honestly. I, I, I went and found a multi-storey car park, and I found this little enclave in there, which was where there was no... Yeah, I could see there was a blind spot for the cameras and things like that. Uh, I had a foam ink blanket, and I had my bag as a pillow. And it was it was actually pretty cold. It was very dusty. The whole place stunk of petrol and tires. Um, and I was just lying there, and I just felt first I felt kind of scared to be honest because I was like, well, I what you know, I'm, I'm pretty much uh, anybody could victimize me here. Luckily, I was quite quite a big guy um, from all the labour. Um, uh, but mainly, I was just like I'm, I was just like I'm a loser. I'm a complete loser. Um, I've I've had all the advantages that uh, that I, I've ever need, I would ever need in life, and I've ended up here. And I don't know how long I'm going to be here for. And nobody will help me. There is no one I can turn to for assistance in this scenario. So I just felt, yeah, I felt extremely depressed. And uh, yeah, I didn't really sleep that night at all. To be honest, I just kind of lay there on on the ground. And yeah, it wasn't a good feeling. I can imagine. And then let's fast yeah, forward yeah. once you're back on your feet again. Um, what were the next steps? Did you begin your charity work straight away after you found your feet? What was the story then? Uh, well, no, I mean, I, I after after New Zealand, yeah, I went I was I went back to England for a bit. Then I travelled around Europe for a while, and then I went and lived uh, in Australia for a year. And uh, yeah, I saw I saw people in similar situation in Australia because again, it's. Australia you can make good money, but it's it is very expensive. And if you don't have a job, you can very quickly run out of money. Same same way as I did when I was living in Auckland. And uh, yeah, and I would see people sort of living um, under bridges and things in Melbourne, and uh, and people sort of trying to uh, sneak into hostels and sleep in the common rooms and stuff like that. And um, I I actually. By this point, I had a really well-paid job. I was I was working in in fraud, and uh, every single uh, day at the end of my shift, I would walk around the office buildings. They would always have some sort of big meeting, and the meetings were always catered. So there'd always be like big trays full of pies and sausage rolls and stuff like that. And I would just they would just you know they eat some of it and they throw it all out at the end of the day. So I used to go around with a bag and just collect it all. And then I just take it to the people living under the bridge on my walk home, and uh, and they were always very happy with that because you know that's that's their that's their dinner sorted, you know. It, um, and I just also I just think thought it was ridiculous just to throw all that food away. It's just wasteful. Um, and I think from there I, I was like, well, this you know this is really is so easy, and it's not actually taking anything from anybody else. I'm not I'm not stealing the food for them. It's not you know not sort of a Robin Hood thing going on. It's uh, it's food that's going to go in the bin. And there's people literally, pretty much literally on the doorstep who, who it could go to. So why are we not, you know, squaring those circles? I don't, I don't fully understand. 
why that isn't being done. Um, and when you apply that to the macrocosmic scale, you know, uh, we, we're wasting anything from a third to half of our food, and yet people are still starving to death. It, it just doesn't seem to make sense. I don't, I've never been one to subscribe to this ultra-conservative idea that poverty is necessary uh, in society. I, I, I think, believe there are significantly more people who have too much than people who have too little. So there's absolutely no real reason for people to be living in that level of poverty. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I'm looking at the notes here. Help Hanoi, Prague, you mentioned Australia. So mm -hmm. was the first um, real organisation that you founded Help Prague's Homeless? Uh, no, it was actually Help Hanoi's Homeless was my first one. So I came to Vietnam and, um, and, I, and I set up Help Hanoi's Homeless. Um, I, I then left Vietnam for uh, about a year. Uh, traveled around Europe for a, for a few months and then settled in Prague. Uh, at the time, Help Hanoi's Homeless was relatively small and, and they were kind of doing homeless runs every now and again. You know, I left a few people as custodians of it and uh, they, you know, they would do homeless runs here and there. There wasn't really much structure to it um, and there wasn't any sort of like regular weekly activity. Uh, I went to Prague and, uh, and I set up Help Prague's Homeless over there um and that took off quite quickly um we, we started doing regular um runs on saturdays we got we got all sorts of other charities involved salvation army food not bombs nadea all these different ones the main thing was that when i was in prague during that time it was coming we were coming into a really nasty winter and i was hearing about people freezing to death um so I, I don't know, my mission was just to try and get as many blankets and hot meals and coats and things out to, to people who were living in Prague at the time, who were living on the streets. Um, because I was, I was hearing about at least two, you know, one or two people each week just being found under bridges, just frozen. Um, one particularly haunting story was one of my volunteers actually found somebody in a wheelchair who'd, who'd frozen to death and, and people were just ignoring it. People were just walking past and uh, and, and I, that that was you know that was particularly troubling for me so i just started getting people together and saying look if you've got a spare coat if you've got a spare blanket that you haven't used in 10 years every night that that's sitting in a cupboard or in an airing cupboard is uh, that's another night that somebody's gone without that um, and so we started getting lots and lots of blanket donations and we'd give them out at the park and they'd go out like hotcakes which you know and the next week the the same homeless people would come back and they'd be wrapped up in more layers, you know, and you could tell they were, they were a bit more rosy cheek. They were a bit, a bit, they didn't look as haggard. They were looking healthier. And, and I think for the sake of, you know, a few blankets and a few coats, um, it really uh, mitigated the, um, the damage that the cold Prague winter had done to the homeless populace. Yeah, I see. And with that coming to help Hanoi homeless now, uh, is it similar in the way it's run as an operation to help Saigon homeless, where you'll go around late at night delivering meals? How does the process work? Well, it's um, it's every every single all four of the organisations are a little bit different, um, and uh, every every city is different, so everything has to be done differently. In Prague, we used to have a line of it was more like a soup kitchen, so we'd have our our food on, on one bench, we'd have clothes on one bench and, and so on and so on. And we'd have like a line of 120 homeless people who would come along 
and uh, and get their stuff. In Hanoi, we we drive around and we hand deliver stuff. Um, and in Saigon, they do a similar sort of thing. They they do run it a bit differently down in Saigon because it's as I say, it's a different city. Uh, they have a different way of doing things. There's there's so many factors that go into it that that make it appear one way or another. Um, yeah, and in Adelaide they do they do sort of irregular homeless runs here and there, and and work with other charities too. Yeah, yeah I see. And also alongside the help homeless organisations, I as I looked into your page, I saw the teaching project that you've been doing, which provides free education to disadvantaged in Vietnam. Can you tell me a bit more about that? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So um, with the lockdown in place, obviously, we haven't been able to do our regular homeless runs. Uh, we've still been able to do our monthly blood drive, um, but uh, we haven't been able to do the, the homeless runs, but, uh, which is a shame. But for, for the sake of keeping people safe, um, it, we, you know, we need to, uh, we initially limited it to skeleton crews. And then eventually it was just me doing it myself and then and now we just we just can't do it we can't take the risk so I, I decided to set up a you know free classes online through zoom so i've been gathering uh teachers i think we've signed on about 70 teachers now which is good and the idea is they can make a class in whatever they want uh, anything that they specialize in we've had people doing english classes uh cooking classes uh maths science core subjects, uh, vocational subjects, um, things like that. Um, people can choose whatever they're good at. You know, if they want to host, I don't know, a, a, a cooking class or a dancing class or something, then fine. If they want to host a maths class, then great. Um, they set up the Zoom meeting, they set up the time, um, and then they just put out, you know, the ages or levels that it's suitable for. They advertise it in a post on our group and, um, then I then the charities like Blue Dragon and 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 the other ones that are involved, Blossom House, uh, they will send the Zoom link on to suitable uh, kids or teenagers who'd be suitable for that class, and they join up and they get um, free education out of it. So the idea is just to supplement their education and that we can kind of come together as a community and and offer something um, just to just to help people. Uh, improve. My first class I did was an English class, and uh, and that had over fifty kids involved. Uh, so it's kind of more like it's yeah for that for classes of that size, it's more like a lecture than a seminar. Um, and uh, other people have hosted classes with you know seven or eight students in them, and they can be a bit more interactive in that way. Um, yeah, it's going really well, and I'm hoping that we can get more charities involved because we can we can host up to with the free version of Zoom, we can host up to a hundred. Uh, students at time so there's really no shortage of space and uh, if you have the, the premium version I think you can host up to a thousand so you know that that just makes it basically unlimited in in the scope of the education you can provide yeah of course um, yeah and with that if I may ask you are there any favorite aspects about the work that you've done with help homeless in Hanoi Prague etc are there any particular highlights for you um, well, there's there's been a few things that I'm, I've been very happy about um, that we've managed to achieve. I'm, I'm very happy right now with the with the school that we set up. I'm, I'm I'm very proud of how we've managed to get that going so quickly, and and the and people have been so enthusiastic to join. So I'm, I'm very proud of that. I hope I really do believe that education is a key factor in bringing people out of the poverty trap. 
so that, I want to continue that uh, indefinitely and grow that the scope of that. Um, there's been certain little, you know, achievements and things. I mean, I, I could tell you some some broad things that we've uh, we've done in terms of, you know, sort of like helping to um, sort of refurbish an orphanage or something like or things like that, or, or big charity fundraisers we've done. There are also like smaller uh, things that just for me, kind of, are, they're kind of like a microcosmic example of, of the work that we've done. Um, one thing that always that I always uh, remember is when we first started doing the homeless runs, there was this man with a little baby uh, and his, uh, his wife, unfortunately, he moved to Hanoi to, for the hospital treatment, but his wife, unfortunately, died. And uh, the baby, I, I've got pictures of the baby, actually, and the baby is really, really frail, doesn't cry, doesn't make any noise, and looks really really sick um when you look at the obviously not a baby anymore more a, more a toddler now but when you look at her now you know she's chubby she's she's curious um she looks significantly healthier and that's just come from literally just regular contact regular food regular supplies being given to this man and the, and the, and the baby um, and just I just see things like that and when people say oh you know this this doesn't work on the long term or something like that I'm like well have a look at that baby and and look at the before and after pictures there this has helped this person on the long term uh, and that's just one of, of, of many examples of, of people that we have managed to help and my you know I have, I have many um, theories behind how it works but I often think that the sooner you can get help to someone, uh, the, the more effective it is really. Like, so, for, so for example, if you could get mosquito spray to somebody uh, or a mosquito net to someone living on the streets, that might prevent them from being bitten by a mosquito, which in turn might prevent them from getting a bloodborne disease. Uh, if, you, if they have some sort of bloodborne disease and they aren't, and they aren't given immediate first aid treatment for it, um, that could develop into a big infection. That infection could lead to an amputation. It could lead to death. It could lead to something much, much worse. At any stage, uh, if you catch it before it becomes a uh, big infection, the problem isn't there. And so it, it kind of makes it very difficult to quantify um, how effective things are, because that you know, how do you quantify a negative? How do you quantify something that hasn't happened? Uh, it's, it's a difficult one to do. So with uh you know what, what i like to think about sometimes is just the fact that maybe keeping somebody giving people fruits and vegetables and nutrition might shore up their immune system and prevent them from getting sick which not only helps them but it also uh so reduces the strip the burden on you know public services it frees up hospital beds uh it reduces um you know crime the the, the likelihood of victimization that homeless people might uh, experience and it also removes one of the incentives to actually go and commit any crimes uh, if your basic needs are being met um, so i think in in a, in a in a roundabout sort of way uh, helping the homeless helps to, it helps all of society really and i think our focus generally as as a community should not be on sort of raising the ceiling um, and you know we don't we don't need more millionaires and billionaires we should be focusing on raising the floor we should be bringing it up for people who are down at the bottom and trying to raise them up um it will it will, it will help everybody as well yeah absolutely and with that this might be slightly difficult to answer but 
perhaps based on the work you've done and what you've seen and your experiences, are there any signs to look out for, as in warning signs that people could slip into hope, homelessness? That's a, uh, yeah, that's a tricky one. I mean, I, I suppose the, the tricky thing is, is that uh, if I was to answer that honestly, Connor, it, would, it, it might scare a lot of people <laughs> because uh, I think, I think what, what people tend to fall into the trap of is they end up in, a, in situations where the more they earn, the, the more they buy and the more debt they get into. So, uh, you know, I used to, years and years ago, and I'm glad I don't do this anymore. I used to work in offices where I would sell debt to people, loans, mortgages, remortgages, and, and, and I detested it. I hated the job. I hated the whole industry. Um, but what I would see regularly is people phoning up. And, I, and obviously, I can see their credit record. I can see how, you know, how much the debt say they're, they're already paying and so on and so on and they'd be phoning up you know I, I was like wow you know the amount they're earning and the amount of their spending if they lost their job tomorrow they they would be destitute in three months time and uh, and they'd be phoning up saying that they want to buy a bmw on credit and they want to push even closer to the limit of of you know of how much they can actually afford and so you know, it, it, it's it's a very easy trap, but we you know we're constantly conditioned to consume, consume, consume. You know, if you've got the money, uh, you should be immediately spending it, buying things on credit. I think the the thing is always you know is to first of all, you know, you don't necessarily need the newest thing that's going. You you, you know, if you can use what you've got, try to try to do that. Don't don't surrender all of your earning potential straight away into building up debt. Um, I think in terms of general warning signs, so I mean, it, it, that's, that's more sort of like financially uh, becoming at risk. I just say, don't, don't live right up to your means. Don't, don't um, you know, because you never know what will happen. You never know when that job's going to go, when an industry is going to collapse. Uh, you know, you might have a wealthy family, you might have a wealthy spouse. You, you never know. You might have a trust fund. You never know when that thing's going to run out. That could be snatched away from under you. And the cavalry won't be coming to help you, you know. Um, but in terms of like people who are at risk of um, homelessness, things to look out for. I mean, there, there are there are people who just end up in very unfortunate situations, and a lot of the time it is people who've moved to a new city, and um, you know the connections we make, the friends that we have, they they really are um, like currency in a way. <laughs> Because when you when you go somewhere that you've never been before and you don't know anybody, um, it, it can be very difficult to sort of make those connections. And a lot of the time, I mean, even now we have we've got things like websites where you can apply for jobs and and so on. Uh, even now, still most uh, I, I don't quote me on this. I'm not entirely sure if it's 100 percent true, but um, I believe that most of the jobs that people get are from recommending a friend, you know, um, uh, you know someone needs a job oh uh, i could get you work at my place or or yeah. there's job openings here that i heard about uh, they don't tend to be so much from from um you know cvs on monster.com or or whatever else um and so if you don't you know if you are in a place where you have no connections it can be very very difficult and uh to, to find work it can also be very difficult if you run into hard times to actually uh you know to actually get out of it because if you know if, if you don't have a friend who can sort of bail you out or or help you for a, for a few weeks or something until you get back on your feet, it can be extremely difficult. <clears throat> if you factor in 
to that as well, that some people might be in a new city and they don't really know the language very well. It can, it can be very, very difficult for them. So in, you know, in, when, when you see homelessness in, in cities, you will see a lot of people who, who are not really from that city. So they're people who've moved there for, well, what do you move to a city for? It's for better economic opportunity. But uh, the cost of living is also higher. So, you know, if you unfortunately fall through the cracks, um, there isn't really a safety net to, to pull you out a lot of the time. Yeah, of course. And coming to the end of the conversation, actually, what would you like to achieve going forward uh, with the work that you're doing? What are your aims? Well, I would like to, I would like to set up uh, Help Hanoi's Homeless to have, basically to be able to offer education, so free education to uh, the disadvantaged, because I think that's absolutely essential. Um, I think, you know, we, even if it's just a rudimentary education, reading, writing and arithmetic, I think it's absolutely essential that that becomes part of the service that we offer. Um, I would like to set up some kind of employment programme, you know, where we can, we can get people into work uh, who otherwise might not have the opportunity to do so. Um, I'd like to expand our connections with other charities and work with them, uh, share information, volunteers, resources, that kind of thing. Um, and I'd like to, I'd like to expand our, you know, our food program, our, our um, to, and I would like to sort of expand and build on that so that we're reaching more people in more areas. I'd like, I'd like to do more than one homeless run a week. I'd like to do several uh, hosted directly by ourselves. Um, yeah, I just, I just want to just keep growing and growing and growing until, until we can, yeah, until in, yeah, I want to look back in 10 years time and, and have people say that it, without help and it's homeless, without the, the work from the, from the, this community, um, you know, I want them to be, to be a, a lot better off than they would have been had it not existed, you know, yeah, that's what I want to do. Excellent message. And where can we find out more about the work you do online or on social media? Um, so on Facebook, you can go to www.facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash help Hanoi's homeless. Um, so that's our main group. Um, same web address again, but you can change help Hanoi's homeless to help Saigon's homeless if you're down in the south. Um, there's also help Adelaide's homeless if you're in Australia and help Prague's homeless in, uh, in the Czech Republic. So uh, you can find out more about the individual groups there and, and join them if you're in the area or you have some way that you can help. Um, yeah, that's, that's the main hub of our operations. That's, so we mainly host it through Facebook. There is, there is an Instagram account as well, but I, I don't really do, do anything with that. I think that's just run by one of uh, my volunteers just to post pictures and things. But if you want to get involved or get in touch, uh, best way is to, is to join up with the group and see what's going on. There's regular posts about different charity events, uh, the homeless runs, the blood drives, um, and the, the educational uh, education initiatives. So you can just go through that and have a look through. Um, basically what we want to do with, with the community is you can choose your own level of involvement. You know, you don't, you don't have to sign up for anything. You don't have to fill in a, some sort of form to volunteer. You can just go through and you can find something that appeals to you or something that suits your timescale and, and uh, your, your timeframes and, and your schedule. 
and uh, and you can track. There's there's always events going on, and we're always trying to um, put things out there that the community can get involved with. Excellent. Well, Axie, thank you very much for chatting today. I really appreciate it, and keep up the good work you're doing. All the very best, man. Thank you very much, Connor. Thank you very much for having me on. And uh, yeah, all the best to you too. I hope this lockdown ends soon and we can return to normality. Yeah, absolutely, man. Take care. Okay, take care.